Welcome to episode nine, Football Club Chairman, The Hard Truth by Darren McAnthony. Apologies for no episode last week. It's been a busy couple of weeks for those of you in the football world, you'll have seen that. Um, the title of this episode upcoming is The Fat Lady is Clearing Her Throat. We haven't quite heard, or heard her sing fully yet, but it's apparent that's close. We're going to cover, well, I'm going to go over my own personal update, life outside of lockdown, since we've been out of lockdown a couple of weeks now. Um, I'm going to cover last week's events where people would have seen me on, obviously, Sky Sports, um, where I did an interview with Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. We then had the EFL online meeting. I'm going to speak about the events since then. I'm going to cover a vitriol from fans on social media and, you know, why I think it's just not necessary. Uh, going to talk about the future of the EFL, um, future of my football club, and a few other things in general. So enjoy the show today. Again, I apologize for not having an episode last week. I wanted to be consistent and put an episode every week up, but my commitments last Friday, the day I usually record, were just uh, I'd been up all night, started at 4 a.m. It was back-to-back, did a lot of press. I promised to do a, a, a podcast um, for the for some posh fans who basically had their own podcast. I went on and did that. As you can probably tell if you listened to that, I sounded absolutely exhausted. And uh, it just the whole day snowballed, and I felt maybe it was best to wait another week. So... That's today's episode. Hope you enjoy and hope you're all doing well and you're safe out there. Be back after the break. Let's talk about life outside of the lockdown. Um, I know a lot of you are listening in the UK, so you're probably hearing me talking about this and it probably winds some of you up because obviously I saw your Prime Minister's uh, talk a couple of Sundays ago and it was apparent you'd be in lockdown a bit longer, bar being able to play a bit of golf, you're not able to go and have a coffee, you're not able to go and have a haircut, some businesses may open in June, some may in July. You know, watching it, I felt utterly depressed. Um, I understand why everyone's worried. I understand the amount of people dying, particularly in care homes. But whilst we're out here in Florida and America opening up, it would be nice to see the rest of the world open up. And I hope now with the good news and the, the infections going down and the deaths going down that the UK can get back to some sort of normality because the amount of emails from people who own businesses, particularly pubs, restaurants, that have emailed me who listened to the podcast and just said that, their life's just decimated and they don't know how to recover. So I know these are like unprecedented times. From my own point of view, my perspective, you've heard my opinion over the last you know, few weeks on this podcast. Um, I know it rubs people up the wrong way, but that's the beauty about life. We're allowed to have opinions. We each have our own opinion. I've always said opinions are like ourselves. Everyone has one and some people are one. So, um, you know, here in Florida, the last couple of weeks, it's been slowly, slowly, basically get back to normal. Um, you know, every time I go for a coffee, the cafe looks a bit busier. We're now entering nearly phase two. We're allowed 50% restaurant capacity now. Um, the theme parks are going to start opening in two weeks' time. Um, most of the shops and restaurants are now open. I've been out for dinner with friends last week. That was great. It was it was a bit weird. The restaurant at that time was 25% uh, capacity, but they did it really well. You know, you basically had hand sanitizer going in. All the staff had masks on. But it was great sitting with friends. It was great, you know, shout out to Josh and Emily. It was a real lift and a boost after being locked up for like 10 weeks to be able to go and have dinner and some sort of normality. It was just, it was wonderful. And and, and I felt for the restaurant because they're doing their best and you could tell they're losing money hand over foot, particularly at that kind of capacity. So since then, I've been out a couple of times. I've obviously been to the barber. My wife has gone to, you know, nail salon, hair salon, and they do it really well. You know, the, the way they do it now with the gloves and the masks and the the... the the plastic um, screens up when you're getting your nails done. There's no reason businesses like that can't reopen. 
And it's it, it's nice to see them get busier and busier as people have more confidence leaving their house. Um, last night was wonderful. We took my, two of my kids graduated, one from fifth grade, one graduated middle school because they're not allowed, obviously, have ceremonies at the school. The school did a great drive-by event with all the teachers basically, you know, waving and speaking to them and, you know, water pistoling the cars as you went by. And then they had a nice virtual, virtual, the word virtual, I'm sick of that word, a nice virtual ceremony for them to, uh, you know, basically celebrate the graduation. So we we took, well, I took everyone out. We went to the Melting Pot, which is a great um, fondue restaurant here in Orlando. It was the first time we've been out as a family. And I was just, as we went in, I saw people in the bar. There were people in the different booths, socially separated, of course, by the distance required. Hand sanitizer, all the staff and masks, the waiter was in. It was just nice. Forget all the mask stuff. Forget about the new normal. It was nice to be normal. It was nice to take the family out. It was nice to basically enjoy a nice dinner, see my kids smile, um, see them outdoors. And it, it gave me real hope. And I'm hopeful as things are improving here, you guys in the UK are going to get that soon because they've got to lift this lockdown in the UK. It's, it's madness that it's gone on this long. You know, we're learning more things about this every day. We know now where most of this death is taking place. We know the risks that are involved. I think everyone's ready to get back to work. I think we all realize that we're going to be living with this for some time. We've seen all the vaccine news. Yes, there'll be a vaccine in time, whether it's this year or next year. But I think putting that to the side, we know as a society now, we, we've got to get back to work and we've got to do it as safely as possible. That debate's come up in football now because obviously the government's given us guidance as an industry to get back out there and do our thing. Um, we all watched German football last week. That was really enjoyable watching that. I watched some golf over here. Um, yes, it's weird without crowds. Yes, it's they would call it the new normal. I call it the temporary normal because I think fans and crowds will be back sooner rather than later. But it was just nice to have an outlet. Instead of watching Netflix, Amazon, the same old crap, working in my office all day, it was lovely to be able to turn the TV on and watch the sport I love. So that was really interesting. I thought they handled it really well. Um, and that's maybe a glimpse into our future for a short period of time. Um, but the government guidance came in. We got like a 50-page report, how we get back to training, um, how it's to be done. We had like consultations with our doctors, the medical staff. And you know what? It's great for everyone's mental health, particularly the players. Great for the staff. That You know, this is all moving in that direction. And this all happened before, obviously, the EFL meetings and such. But the bottom line is, is that whether you're on board with it or not, sport's coming back. Premier League football is coming back. Championship football is coming back. And I know all the headlines and I've seen all the things where, you know, the usual people are writing articles about, well, players, you know, they don't want to go to training. Listen, let me tell you right now, to have nearly 800 tests and less than 1% infection rate was absolutely, that was a brilliant uh, bit of news for me. I know everyone jumped on it. It was like, there are people infected. You know what? If you were that Watford player, some of the players who, who went in, got tested, and now you know you're infected, and now you know what you're dealing with, and you will get over it, obviously, because you're a young athlete, and you're going to have to isolate, but at least you know. And you know what? There's probably no safer place on earth than actually being at a football club training three, four times a week with the two testings you're doing each week. So actually, there's some are saying it's actually safer there than going to a grocery store. Now, I've seen the headlines. I've seen the, the Troy Deeney comments, other people's comments was Danny Rose. And you know what? I, I am totally on board with any player who feels it's not safe for them to return. That is their prerogative. That is their human right. Um, that they don't want to put their family in danger. I think Troy said something about he had a child with breathing problems. Listen, if I were in issues, I'd probably do the same thing. But the problem you're going to have with that, and for lots of footballers who deem it too dangerous to return, to play, to train, 
if this virus is here for 12 months, 18 months, they're all going to have to look for new careers. Because if they can't do it now, they're not going to be able to do it in three months, they're not going to be able to do it in six months. And it's a really, 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 really good choice to make. If you live with someone vulnerable, it's a tough one. I've had emails off, um, a gentleman emailed me last week, and he saw the whole hoopla about some Premier League footballers didn't want to go back to train. And he said, you know, Dara, my child has recovered from leukemia a couple of years ago. And he said, so they would fall in that vulnerable category. But I have to go to work. I have to go to feed my family. And I have a job. And I'm working through all of this. And I'm absolutely terrified what I'm bringing home. And I have complete empathy, sympathy, listening to that situation. That's somebody who doesn't earn 20 grand a week, 50 grand a week, 100 grand a week. He's got half a million in the bank, a million in the bank. They don't have a choice. Their only choice is to feed their family. Their only choice is to go out and probably put their child's life in danger. It's a really, real tough one. So as much as I sympathize with footballers and the plight they're in, compared to normal people, and some will say, yeah, but normal people aren't going to be having contact. And Do me a favor. By the time these players are in contact on a Saturday or a Tuesday, they've been tested you know, to within an inch of their life that we know whether they have the virus or not, they're asymptomatic or not, or what they're bringing to training or to games or not. So I would say that somebody working in the front line, somebody even working in the grocery store, people who are working in industry where maybe they don't have the PPE, they're people who are really in danger. And they're going out every day and they're putting their neck on the line. And they've got to do it for their families. So to be a footballer and have plenty of money and be able to say, well, I'm not doing it, that's your prerogative, that's your that's your opinion, that's your, that's your choice you have to make. But like I just said there, down the line, they're going to have to come to the realisation football clubs aren't going to pay footballers who won't do what they're contracted to do. As much as they'll be sympathetic to their plight, after a few weeks, it'll grow old. And I mean that respectfully, because there's no way you're going to pay, whether you're a footballer or any staff, if your staff don't want to come to work, you're just not going to pay your staff, because that's what they're contracted to do. So over the next six months, few months, 12 months, if the virus is still here and the vaccine's taking its time, these footballers who don't want to play, they're going to have to choose other careers because there's no way they're going to be paid their contracts. That's just my opinion on the whole matter. I could be I could be wrong. Maybe the PFA will look after them. I don't know. But I do back their right to choose to play or not to play, or to train and not to train, as long as they understand the ramifications financially from that choice. But at least everyone has a choice. With that said, it's great to see plans being put in place. I, I, I'm on Twitter. I see... All the different football clubs, I obviously follow Liverpool on Twitter, and I see all the video footage and the pictures of them back training, the envy burning inside me, and I'm not even a footballer. I can only imagine what my players are like. That envy of seeing people go back to work and do what they're paid to do, do what they love to do, to be able to get back out on the on the sacred turf and train and see your teammates. And, and, just, and again, I said to you there, that normality of life that you've missed for like 10 weeks, and we're all missing it, and I'm starting to get some of it back here in Orlando and Florida. And I'm sure there's so many people in the UK missing it. And it's great you can play around a round of golf or you can walk to the park or to the beach, but you want all that other normal stuff to come back as well. You want your kids back in school. I want my kids back in school. And, you know, the funny thing is over here, the main states like Texas, Georgia, and Florida that opened like three weeks ago, there is no second wave. There is no big blow-up. You know, the press like might want to, particularly the, the mainstream media, they like to scaremonger, they like to throw up things. When we do a lot more testing, there's a bit more people infected, which is quite normal, the more testing you do. They like to put headlines up. You know, a month ago, it was like dumb Florida, you know, and like our governor's a killer. It just drives you mad. The way the press has skewered this and some people just love to scaremonger it, it's wrong. It's outright wrong. And I see in the UK now, your infection rates have dropped right down. You know, it's time to open. People need to get out. Lockdown has to end. 
and we're seeing it over here, this massive second wave and spike, it's not here. And you know what? It might come. It might come in the winter. We're going to have to get on with this. We're going to have to live with this. We can't continue to lock up people. It's just not right. So to see footballers and the choices they're going to have to make and the debate that's raging and the things that have been said, I'm firmly in the camp that I think it's a safe environment. We've seen the guidance. I think actually, like I think it was the Watford player said, he was delighted that he actually knew that he had it. So he could isolate himself from his family and of people. If he hadn't have gone into training, he wouldn't have known. And what if he'd met up with another player who'd refused to go to training, but they, I don't know, they lived next door to each other, they spoke over the fence, they weren't wearing a mask, he would have infected him anyway. So the point of this and what we're doing is you get back, you get into it, you do your testing, and you do what the government want you to do. And what the government in the UK want everyone to do is try and get sports back on, try and get football back on. And, and I've always been a fan of playing. You know, I make the joke and I change my Twitter handle. We are Peter B. United Football Club. Yes, we're not Peter B. United Club. We are a football club. Our business is to play football. That's our product. That's what our fans are there for, because we play football. And right now we're being told, get back training and get ready to play football. And that's why, of course, I feel aggrieved. Of course, I feel upset. And I'm going to go into that after the break. But I just want people to know where, where I am with this all. Promotions, relegations, wherever it is, I just want us to play football. That's what we're paid to do. That's what our main product is. That's what our fans buy shirts, merchandise, tickets for, football. So I'll be back after the break, and we're going to get into the whole EFL and the whole thing last week with the meetings and a little bit more. Thank you. So I think it was last Thursday. Welcome back, by the way. Um, I was out having a coffee, um, and I was driving back, and I got a message off Andy at Fleetwood to get on a Zoom call, and on the call were other owners of other clubs, and you obviously saw the announcement that there were six of us that wanted to basically put the point home that we wanted to continue and play the season out. Maybe people took it the wrong way. There were other clubs got quite, you know, not clubs, but fans got salty about the fact that we were saying, look, we want to play. I know one other owner on Twitter was on the soapbox getting upset about it, but here's a reality. We rang around lots of clubs. We wanted to have conversations with a lot more clubs. It was an open invitation. Those who chose to tune in, tuned in. Those who didn't, didn't. All we wanted to do was talk as football clubs. It's great when you have EVAL and EFL updates and, and you know PDFs sent to you, but you don't know what other clubs are thinking, and it's nice sometimes for all the owners to get together and hammer it out and talk about it, because this, after all, is our product. This is football. We're now being told to get back training. So the idea was, was to open up the conversation and have a like-minded conversation and hear the reasons why people didn't want to continue and hear the reasons why they did want to continue. And not only talk about what's happening now with these nine games, but talk about next season. Uh, and that was the idea of the spirit of, of the chat. And it was a really, really good chat. It was interesting getting to know the, the, the MD at Portsmouth and the directors of Oxford and Fleetwood, of course, and Ipswich, Sunderland. And it was just a general conversation of, look, guys, you know, this is our product. This is so important to the future that we get out there and play like the championship and the Premier League are going to do. And we obviously spoke to a lot of other clubs. Um, and, and for those Coventry or Rotherham fans who were like upset about it at the time, we reached out to them. Same thing. We did. We tried with Wickham. The Wickham owner had actually emailed me a few weeks ago. So we were trying to get him on the call. Anyway, the bottom line was we wanted to just make it very transparent and honest with everyone that we wanted football back on. It wasn't an us versus them attitude. Some people might have taken it that way. For that, I can apologize, but that wasn't the intention. The overall message was we wanted football back on. 
we felt for the long term of our league, the game, we have to get back playing. Yes, I understand people have this apprehension about playing behind closed doors, but if closed doors behind closed door football is here in August, September for a couple of months, it's what it is. It's, it's We have to get on with it. That's what we've got. Our product is football. I understand without the income on gates, that's not great, but we're going to have to work with that like lots of people are and lots of businesses are. It's, it, it's like opening a restaurant and you're told only 25% can come in. You work with the ingredients you've got and you do the best you can. To sit it out and to sit on the sidelines, for me, is, is not the answer. It, it, it's not the solution. And for football, it's definitely not the solution. And if League One and League Two don't get forgotten and we don't want to see the other leagues break away, we have to get back to playing and we have to figure out a way of doing it as quick as possible. So the intention was the right intention. Um, from that, obviously, Sky reached out because I think Gary Neville lost his shit on Twitter over it. And they asked if I could come on in the morning. And it was 4 a.m. my time, and the EFL meeting was at 4.30 a.m. The worst part was I was going out that night for my first meal with my friends in like 10 weeks. And I was really looking forward to going out and having a few drinks. And knowing I was going to be up at 4 a.m. for Sky and the EFL meeting at 4.30, I couldn't have any alcohol. So it was the worst ever. You're penned in for like 10 weeks. You can go out and socialize finally, go to a restaurant, and I'm sat there drinking still water through the dinner. So that was that was probably the, the, the worst part of the whole thing. I then got a message from somebody Obviously, I don't know whether they work at Sky or they've got an inside loop. And their message said, be careful, Neville's gunning for you and he's going to come for you in the morning. I said to my missus, we were going out the door at the dinner. I said, oh my God, 4 a.m. I'm not going to be coherent. You know, do I sleep? Do I stay up till 4 a.m.? Because obviously I've got to be on my game, particularly if someone's gunning for me. So to be fair, I pretty much stayed up all night, drank about 10 coffees, had the Sky call at four. It was good because before we went live on air, and I, I got a bit of banter with Gary and with Jamie and Kelly was presenting. And I actually, I fronted Gary before the show and said, I believe you're gunning for me. I've had a message and I said, be careful because obviously what comes at me is going to come right back at you. So we had a bit of banter about that, the Danny Lloyd transfer, um, you know, and so on. And look, Gary's a football club owner. Um, so his opinion is going to be respected. And I thought we had a good debate. I thought it was a, not a lively debate, but I thought it was a transparent debate. Um, and views are on the table. And, and all I was trying to do is get my message across that we just want football back. And, and I know everyone says it's a self-serving agenda and you six have an agenda of promotion. I just want us to play football again. Is there anything wrong with wanting to do what my club does? I own a football club. Yeah. I don't own a chess club. All right. I own a football club. Our business is football. I just want the football back on. So it was a really, really good interview. Um, obviously got support on Twitter. I appreciate it. Joey Barton had come on Twitter as well and said, good interview. I had a great message off Simon Jordan. Everyone kept talking about an Avery and this bird thing. When I listened back, the sound of the birds in the background, and I didn't realize when I was then listening to Gary Neville do his bit with a football agent, it was his house that all the noise was coming from. But people, for some reason, thought I had a lot of parrots in my office. and It wasn't true. So just to, just to get the point straight on that for everyone out there listening. Um, then we had the EFO meeting. And I'm not going to lie, um, I, I found the meeting really, really difficult because you had about 60 people on the call. And you didn't have just owners, you had directors, you had football secretaries, you had staff from the EFL. And it, it was just really, really difficult to get your point across or even speak. Because when you're on a, a conference call like that, whether it be Zoom or whatever way they piped us in, it was a Microsoft video thing. It was really, really difficult. So I just listened. I made a couple of points. My main point I made to everybody was... Look, guys, this isn't about clubs who are in trouble, clubs relegated, clubs getting promoted. 
the financial side of things, we all know we need a bailout. We all know we need help. We all know there needs to be a bigger plan. I've spoken about that for 10 weeks, about the need to raise 200 million, possibly 250 million to help clubs through what's coming at the end of the summer. But I said, what we've all got to be very careful is, is that if we down tools now, if we decide now when we're finally at the stage, we've been locked up for like 10 weeks, we've been gasping to get back and play. If we're at the stage now where we've been told to play, you know, surely we have to find a way for the long-term nature of our leagues that we've got to play football. Because if we don't do it now, those same clubs who don't want to play, if they say the same in August, does that mean we're not playing football anymore? Does that mean we're basically locking up? Are we are we putting a, a massive lock on our training ground, our stadium, because some owners feel they'd rather just sit back furlough and hibernate just because they can't get people through the gates at the moment. That's going to destroy our league. That'll be the end of League 1 and League 2, by the way. And if we allow that to happen, because some owners just don't want to pay or find the money to play when we're meant to be a competitive league, that will be just Armageddon for the, for the game, in my opinion. It's just not right. So I was trying to make the point, you know, we have we have merchandise, we have fans, we have a fan base. We You know, we've got to figure out ways of getting income. But most importantly, without football back on, how do you motivate your fan base or incentivize your fan base to spend money with you and how do you keep sponsors how do you keep all the th- how do you keep the lights on at a football club you know and, and forgetting about what you lose on the gates all the other income that's up for grabs including tv money solidarity money what's the long-term effect so it was it was okay i listened in i listened to everyone's opinions i understood there were clubs who were you know they felt playing nine games was a waste of time for them they weren't going up they weren't going down the clubs who were in danger of going down of course, you know, they would use, well, the health reasons and then it's the, the money. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves here. And the fans have come to me over before. It's 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 not healthy to play. It's too dangerous. Put that to the side. That has nothing to do with it. We're being told now by the government we can go back and play. So let's drop that argument to the side. If you want to talk about the finances of playing and finishing, totally understand. Let's have that debate. But the bottom line is let's drop the moral side of things that people come at me all the time at. You know, I've been hit hard by the Rotherham fans recently, and that's the one they always use. It's morally not right to play. People are dying. Someone from Coventry obviously tweeted me yesterday, and I made the point, does that mean when the championship starts in August, September, are you still going to feel that way and not want your club to play? Because this is our industry. We're being told to go back and play. Third division clubs in Germany are going back to play. You know, second and third division clubs in Spain are going back to play. It's going to be the same worldwide. The world is opening up again, guys. So the idea that we can hide behind that moral argument, well, that's incorrect in my opinion. So maybe that's a debate for another day. But the bottom line is, and we've had all the medical and scientific you know, information, we've been given the guidance. And what was really interesting was, uh, I found it funny the EFL drop on us the day before the course of training. There was no pre-plan. It was just, this is the course of training. And the one thing that's frustrated a lot of us with the EFL throughout the whole process is they've never given us a financial model on what it would cost to start the season up. They've never given us financial guidance on what would happen if we don't finish the season. It's been very much, yeah, we want to finish the season. Then it's down to the clubs to vote. Oh, and here, by the way, it's 120 grand to test your players to finish the nine games. Well, I'm sorry, that that's not right. Uh, and if I'm going to be critical of the EFL, uh, I've got to say it how it is. That's just wrong. And it doesn't give all the clubs the information necessary to make the vote. And we all spoke about that, the cost of um, testing. And of course, that cost of 120 grand frightened a lot of clubs. I understand why. I appreciate why. And they're trying to hoard money and they're trying to hibernate and they don't want to basically pay that money to play nine or 10 games. Paul Scally made a really good point. Have we reached out to the PFA? They're sitting on a, a, a treasure pot of 50, 60 million. Can we, can we get help from them? Can they pay for the testing for their members? 
can we can we do that to get football back on? Because after all, hundreds of their members are going to be out of work by the end of the summer. They're going to be looking for new employment. Surely it's more beneficial for those players to get out and play, showcase their talents, earn new contracts for a new season. Wouldn't it be right for the PFA to go, you know what, it's two million for League One, it's two million for League Two. You know, we're willing to to pay it. Now, if they said to us, look, you can pay us back over five years and each club had to pay 25 grand a year for the next five years. Do you know what? I think loads of clubs would be like, great, okay, so there's one course that's gone. But it wasn't put to us in that way. It was just dropped on us in a document. The testing is going to be between 120 to 140 grand. And again, it felt to me like, well, well, hang on a second. You're the EFL. You've had weeks to work on this. That's the best you can do. There's no compromise. There's no solution. Those in charge need to find solutions. A bit like needing to find the money, the 200 million, the 250 million. Where are we with that? You know, lots of people spoke about staying and you know surviving, you know, staying open, what's coming down the pipe. Totally understand that. But without actually your product being football and without it being sold, how can you actually do that? So I heard all the arguments. Um, I heard all the debating. It was then suggested, I think it was by Rick. It was really funny because there was an article in the Sun about Rick Parry banging a table and laying the law down. And there was a picture of me in the, in the paper. And it was the biggest load of bollocks you've ever read in your life. Rick Parry was as chill as you've ever seen. I know those meetings are recorded, so you could actually get that recording out there. Nobody raised a voice. Everyone, you know, got to say their piece. Everyone was really respectful. There was no finger pointing. Everyone basically had a chance to say how they felt about it, whether they wanted to play, finish, not. It, it, was, it wasn't even a debate. It was just a healthy conversation amongst all the owners and directors. That was very difficult, 60 people on the call. But the idea that Rick Parry was laying the law down, as big as a lot of bollocks you've ever read in your life, whichever paper wrote that. And then, and then obviously Rick said at the end of the meeting, look, there might be a way for those clubs who want to play on, we can have a mini tournament. Maybe we can extend the playoffs. Maybe we can put all those ideas ahead. So, okay. So everyone was like, okay, there was like 10 clubs there that were thinking, maybe there is a way we could extend the playoffs. Maybe we could do it fair instead of going down the points per game scenario, instead of just calling time on it. You know, how do we satisfy the clubs who want to play? How do we satisfy clubs like Tranmere, you know, who are in great form and who feel they will stay up and otherwise they'll be robbed of, you know, they'd be, they'd be killed with a relegation and robbed of staying in League One and they do want to play. So how, how do we get to a fair compromise? So it was told then, put in all the proposals and ideas. So everyone went around that and did that. Um, I know Sunderland put in a proposal, Portsmouth did, we did, other clubs did. I know Tranmere have put one in. Um, everyone put in their proposals uh, and we all felt quite positive that, okay, there's a lot of clubs here who do want to play at some sort of tournament. Um, because the other overriding thing that came from the actual... EFL call was the rebate and TV money. And that was a big point, a big bone of contention. And it's something I've been harping on about for a couple of months. And Andy Holt, uh, as you know, me and him disagree on this. And I know he likes to have a go at me on Twitter. And I'll say this, he's okay, he's welcome to do that. But at least take my call, at least message me back. I have tried to call him. I have messaged with, tried to message him. He's not responded once. He'd rather respond on social media. Fine, man of the people and all of that. But he put something up on Twitter the other day about it was a lot of bollocks about there was going to be a refund on any TV money. That's never been confirmed. And he put that up after that EFL meeting, which I found ironic because in the EFL meeting, Rick Parry confirmed that there is a potential, I think it was £13 million refund to Sky, failure for us to finish and give them the games they've paid for. And the championship would have to eat 80% of that. And we're having playoffs on... We might be able to get the course down for League One. But the bottom line is it could be anywhere from 50 to 100 grand per club in League One. And yet it might be, be payable over a year or two. But there is going to be a cost. There is going to be a refund. 
there is going to be checks and balances. And I just felt at the time, well, hang on a second. If it's going to cost us, say, 50 to 100 grand for that and testing is 120, let's say we got the testing, some of it paid by the PFA, some of it paid by the other clubs and the champ, because the championship are going to have to bear the lion's share of us not playing in League One or League Two, which means each championship club could have to pay out three to 400 grand for us not to play, because they have to pay 80 odd percent of the share of, the, of whatever the fine is or the rebate is. So that information wasn't forthcoming in writing by the EFL. It got dropped in that meeting. And it was really frustrating for myself and a lot of the early owners that the EFL are putting that right into us to give us the, lay, the lowdown and the bottom line. Tell us the bottom line. Tell us the true repercussions of not finishing the season. Let's not talk about it's going to cost 500 grand to finish the season. Forget all of that for a second. Tell us the true cost. Tell us, you know, that 500 grand is clubs are harping about if we go back training, if we pay for testing, if we bring players off furlough, we play the nine games, it's, it's X amount. But tell us the real cost of not doing it. Because right now we've got the EFL saying there could be a TV rebate, there will be a TV rebate. You know, I wanted to know what would happen with the five-year Sky deal. Is there a way that if we don't fulfill our contract and play at the season, do they have a legal right or an out or a clause to actually cancel the next four years of the TV deal? Now, we signed a half a billion pound deal. Could us voting to not play on affect that deal in the future? Would be catastrophic for all football clubs. That information is not forthcoming. The other thing I asked was, does it affect our solidarity money from the Prem? If our academies aren't back, if they're not playing in a couple of months or whenever they're meant to, does that affect our solidarity money? Because that's a massive amount as well. So all I was trying to get the point across to someone like Andy was, and I messaged Andy Holt about it and said, you're wrong. There is a refund. There is a rebate. I understand your stance. I have to respect your stance. I don't agree with it. But don't say there was no rebate or hasn't been confirmed when it was an EFL meeting that you didn't attend. So it might be good to attend the meeting or it might be good to actually ring the chairman of the Football League and get the information. So we all like to talk on Twitter, but I can back up talking on Twitter and social media with the fact that I've spoke to other clubs, I've spoke to the EFL chairman, I've spoke to the board, I've put proposals in. And, and, and that, for me, is the right way to go about it, as well as speaking publicly on social media. So this isn't a tit for tat. This isn't a row. It isn't whatever else. But at least have the decency. If you're going to say things, at least respond. And I have reached out to people who've been critical. And I have given them the chance for us to talk about it. And they've refused to respond. So that's up to them. Fair enough. No problem. I'm not going to lose sleep about it. But the bottom line from that meeting was, and that's what I'm trying to get to with everyone with this 500 grand price tag, is, is that, you know, there's a lot more to this than you think. And, you know, the vote's coming up, and we're going to cover that after the break. But I just wanted to give you an idea, an insight into the meeting last week, that it was a really, really fair meeting. It was really open-minded. Uh, and every owner, you know, and every person from every football club on that call, you know, are, were allowed a voice. And, um, you know, and obviously then we had what, what came yesterday from the EFL and follow-up to that. But we're going to cover that after the break. Be back soon. So that was the EFL meeting on the Friday. I obviously then went and did a podcast. I obviously did talk sport. I was absolutely exhausted. I probably sounded deflated. And then what started coming out was there were headlines coming out, you know, obviously about um, the threats, the legal threats. Listen, every football club took a legal opinion of what was going on, okay? They would be foolish not to. For what's on the line, they had to. I took one. I know six, well, eight other clubs have probably taken legal opinions on this. You know, we run football clubs, all right? We employ hundreds of people. We're big businesses. We're part of the 71 clubs in the Football League. Okay, this isn't Mickey Mouse, although the way, you know, we're going about not wanting to play football, you could construe it as Mickey Mouse, but our product's football. So we had to take legal opinions on what was going to happen. And obviously, a lot of fans took umbrage with my opinion um, over the weekend and then Monday and Tuesday. 
it was mainly Rotherham fans were coming at me left, right and centre, as if I was coming up with a proposal to stop them from getting promoted, which couldn't be further from the truth. My proposal didn't include them, didn't include Coventry. So, of course, we wanted to play out the season and we'd be delighted if Coventry and them wanted to play out the season. But if it was going to get into some sort of tournament, it didn't actually include them, but they were still coming at me with like vitriol that you wouldn't believe. And I've got no problem having banter on Twitter with people. I've got no problem swatting away the trolls. But some of the crap that was being sent to me was just nonsense. And then, and then the, the hiding behind, you know, coronavirus and people are dying. I mean, do me a favor with some of the nonsense being written. Then some EFL, like fake Twitter account, is going on about it and trying to, you know, again, you know, McAnthony's threatening like clubs' existence and threatening to sue football clubs and put them out of business. Couldn't be more bullshit if you tried. So, Obviously, I have to respond to that. Um, but here's the bottom line, folks. And this is the reality of the situation. Whether you hate me, like me, don't. You have to respect me. And you have to, because I've been in the business a long time. And I'm giving it to you straight. And I'm probably, there's a few people who talk about this transparently. And I'm trying to be as transparent as possible. Okay. The cost to test our players is 120 grand. The cost to finish the nine games, home games are going to cost fuck all. Basically, with the lack of staff you're going to have there, it's probably another 70 grand to finish. You then throw in the people you have to take off furlough, mainly players. You'd have to take all your staff off furlough as regards to the non-football staff. You have to take the required amount off that are going to be involved in play. And the furlough amount for that is probably on average per club about 50 grand. Okay? You're talking about, I'd say no more, and I've spoke to other owners and they agree with me on this, you're probably talking about 300 grand. You then throw in the refund we have to give on TV. You bring the 300 grand down to 200 grand. Okay, because if you play, you don't have to pay the refund. You then talk about season ticket refunds. And we spoke about this and we've asked the EFL for an opinion on this as well. There are clubs in our division who are going to hand back a million pounds they're going to have to in refunds if they're not going to be able to give iFollow to their season ticket holders. If we had a compromise, I know it's not perfect, but we can't give our season ticket holders the five games they deserve. At least we could give them an iFollow. We could also have fans buy an iFollow. You're going to earn income from iFollow. You're also going to have your fans, the passion reawakened as well, who are going to want to buy merchandise, who are going to want to, you know, let's face it, your shops are going to be open in a couple of weeks when lockdown is, is finished and fans are going to come out and try and support and they're going to social distance when they come into your shop or whatever else because the shop's like any other business and your club shop's going to bring income in. So you're going to sell merchandise online, you're going to sell stuff in your shop, people are going to buy season tickets for next year. Trust me, this 500 grand is a load of nonsense. It hasn't been modelled, it hasn't been produced, I wish the EFL did it. The other thing I've been screaming about and talking about is by failing to fulfill the season, you're also allowing potentially sponsors off the hook on contracts where you're going to need that income. They're going to say, well, basically, you haven't finished the season. We might want to refund. We're not going to continue with our sponsorship for next season because you defaulted on your contract where you haven't finished and provided us the full sponsorship for a full season. So I was trying to get across the fans out there that are not hiding behind or saying, oh, it's too expensive for football clubs. For me, you're talking anywhere from two to three hundred grand to finish our season to get football back on. <laughs> and I'm going to say something that people are going to take out of it. They're going to misquote me on it. They're going to take it as heartless. And I'm going to be really honest about it. But if there's a club in League One who can't afford two or two hundred grand to finish out a football season and play nine or ten games, you've got to question where we're going. You've got to question our league. You've got to question whether a club should belong in our league who can't write a check for two hundred or two hundred and fifty grand to finish out our season. And that's the hard, honest truth. It's easy for me to say, yes, I've got partners and we'll all have to put the money in together. But the bottom line is we're in a competitive football league. 
We're not in our football league to survive. We're in our football league to compete. We're in our football league to compete, whether it's to get promoted or whether it falls flat and we get relegated. That is the football league. That's how it's designed. It's designed as a competition, okay? It's a competition. You play football every week to win. You play football every week for, to earn the right to get promoted or you play football every week to try and save yourself from relegation, okay? That is the hard truth. That is the reality. For people saying out there, but, but that's crazy, you're going to force clubs out of business. You know, you're going to force them to play nine games. Well, if any club goes out of business from playing nine games, they probably shouldn't be in our league in the first place. And that sounds, again, harsh, but again, it's the truth. And I'm not trying to create controversial headlines. And I implore, Swanee, you listen to this, and many other journalists out there, don't quote me the wrong way. I want us to get a bailout. I want us to borrow excess amounts of money to help clubs through a hard summer. But I want it to be transparent that a lot of clubs that are pleading they can't finish have probably saved money the last couple of months by furloughing people, not having major bills to pay, putting a PAYE off, not having the mass overheads they're used to when football is on, and they actually have a surplus at the moment. And all we're saying to the clubs down there is, is look, it's nine games, it's finishing the season, it's getting our product back on. Because the bottom line is, you cannot have this argument in August and September. We can't have clubs in our league say to us, well, we want to hibernate until fans are allowed back in. And they're going to stop many clubs. If they put it to a vote like they've done at the moment to start a new season, it'd be the most ridiculous thing ever. The EFL have to put a stop to that and just go ahead and get our fixtures ready for the new season once this season's finished. So if this season finishes in June and July, I expect the EFL to put out fixtures. And if we have to play behind closed doors for six games or seven games or eight home games, so be it. But this nonsense that we're going to vote to get back playing for a new season, that cannot happen. We cannot allow... A small minority who want to hibernate and basically keep people furloughed and, and possibly destroy our game long term affect all the rest of the clubs in our division. All right, football's our business. We have to get back to playing. If you don't like me for saying that and telling the truth, unfollow me. Don't listen, okay? But don't come at me with vitriol. Don't write headlines that I'm trying to damage other football clubs. I'm trying to keep our league alive. I'm trying to, I've been working for eight weeks on helping with the bailout. I've been throwing in people, private funds who've got money that could possibly lend to the Football League. How many of these other owners who've hibernated and furloughed people and are worried about basically playing nine games or starting next season have come up with suggestions, come up with solutions, come up with ideas? It's not just ideas and solutions for my football club. It's for all these other clubs who are basically saying they can't play nine football games, never mind a new season. So that's what I've always fully been behind. So don't say to me that I'm, don't vilify me or paint me as the villain that's trying to hurt other football clubs. Because that, that's probably the most unfair accusation ever. I'm doing everything in my power to help in getting the bailout, restructure the way our wages work, restructure the loan system, bring in systems that football clubs will never be in this kind of financial trouble again. I understand there could be dark days ahead. I understand playing games without fans isn't ideal. I understand there's a cost to it. But I also understand there's a massive cost to not doing that. And I also understand the effect to the long-term health of our football league. If we refuse to play, if we refuse to start a new season, if other clubs get a vote on doing that, and all of a sudden clubs like ours can't go out and, and, and play football, and our contract, the players can't play football, and we can't bring income in in any way we can, whether it's through iFollow or what, whatever way you want to bring income in, if we can't do that as a football club, what are we doing here? Because I'm telling you right now, the Championship and the Premier League will, will get going. They'll play on without us. And if we just down tools and stop playing as a League 1 and League 2, I'm telling you now, we'll disappear. And that can't happen for the clubs that we have in these leagues. Yes, my sympathy goes to the clubs who are struggling. And let's try and work together and come up with compromises and solutions for those. But down in tools is not a solution. 
hibernating till the summer of 21-22 season isn't going to work. All right, that will cancel all the contracts that we've signed, all the, the deals we've got in place. It will do irreparable damage to our game, to our brand, to our football, to our fans. It's just wrong. So that's where I am with it. I'm, I, I, I'm definitely calling bullshit on it being four or five hundred grand to finish the season. I'm definitely calling bullshit on that's a reason a lot of clubs don't want to finish. I think we know the truth why some clubs don't want to finish. I think we know the truth about clubs saying, well, they want to hibernate. You know, the reality is here, we needed to model those numbers. The Football League should have put those numbers down. Instead of just having a meeting and then thrown out as a side comment, well, you know, yes, you're going to have to give back some of the TV money. You know, no, we don't know the full cost of playing the nine games. We've now asked the Football League to put our model together. So <laughs> off the back of a busy week, off the back of the meeting, off the back of the Football League asking us to put proposals in, we then get the thing yesterday where it's now decided we're going to vote on finishing the season or we're going to vote in points per game. Yeah, I understand. Everyone loves it. The fans have came at me about Wickham's going over us points per game. I know all the, the unfairness to it. I know all the arguments about why we should basically, it should be the home and away. I know the arguments about, well, Wickham were playing Coventry in their game of hand. This isn't a battle against Wickham. Okay. I understand. I understand where Wickham stand on all of this. We just want to play the season out. Points per game is the most ridiculous way to decide a season. It's going to hurt so many clubs. It's going to be the most unfair precedent we're going to set um, for the future. And we basically want to finish. And still today, and I know people are going on about, well, you know, we're promoted and screw you and you're not even going to be in the playoffs. You know what? Like I said, the fat lady's clearing her throat. She hasn't quite sang yet. There's still a good number of clubs that want to play on. Uh, in the coming days, as the numbers become more transparent about what happens if we don't come back and finish, maybe some clubs that are sat on the fence will be swayed. Maybe the vote will go the other way. But until the vote comes down, until the decision is made, I always live in hope. That's where I am at the moment. Um, and I'll fight for my football club. That's all I can do. I don't want to put my staff and players on furlough. I don't want to call time on the season. I don't want to tell people I don't know if they're going to get their jobs back again. I don't know... If I can say to my fans, I don't know when the new season in football is going to be back again. I'm not ready for that. I thought from minute one that I wanted our league back on. I wanted us to finish. I wanted us to do the right thing. I still feel the right thing to do is to finish the season. I still feel the right thing to do is work out a way to finish it as cheaply as possible for the clubs who are suffering financially. For those clubs who say they can't afford to finish, let's work out a compromise. There has to be a way to finish. There has to be a way for them to get out and play. Um, and there has to be a way for us to reduce the potential costs of playing on this season and mitigating the refunds that could come hitting our way. And we're going to work on that model at the moment. And we've asked the Football League to model it as well and actually give us the true financial numbers when it comes to iFollow, the true financial numbers when it comes to Sky, the true you know, legal ramifications of the Sky contract, the solidarity contract, if we don't finish the season and we don't start next season. We need to know the answers and all of those things before we can vote. Because I spoke to a good few clubs today. Uh, and we've got some brilliant football clubs and not all of them in League One. And I understand everyone has their own thought, their own agenda and whatever else. But, you know, th there was a good number of them who, were, who, who wanted to play. And even the ones who were on the fence were like, look, if we know the true cost and we know it's doable and we know that we need to get our product back out there, you know what? We could be swayed into voting to play on. Uh, and everyone's worried about the contracts and the players. We've already worked that out, that you can extend contracts for a month. We know already that the players will want to play because so many of them are going to be out of contract. They're going to need to basically put themselves in the shop window to get new contracts. So that's not going to be a big issue. But the big issue right now is, is let's not hide behind numbers we don't know the truth to. Let's not say hide behind it's going to cost 500 grand to finish a season. Let's look at what the real cost of finishing the season is. 
Let's look at the real course ramifications if we do vote on that and decide not to finish. And you know what? If they end up doing a points per game, yes, it's going to devastate us as a football club. Um, but more than that, I worry for our game. I worry for the club, for the health of the football industry. I worry for where League One's going. Um, and, and I've got to fight against everything that involves. Uh, and I'm not threatening to sue anyone. Um, I know I said in the podcast we took a legal opinion the other day. And, of course, I was tired and I was angry about what was going on. I, I don't want to sue football clubs. I don't want to put football clubs out of existence. I want to find a fair compromise. The best solution to this whole situation is play out the season. Um, and that's what I still believe. So as much as people are calling time and saying the season's done, um, I'm saying right now, until I hear the fat lady sing soprano and, and, and scream through her lungs at me that we're done and we finished our season and we're not allowed to get back out there, I'll still fight. My manager, he was devastated when we saw the stuff yesterday. My players, absolutely gutted. You're probably going to hear from a few of our players in the days to come. They all want to play. There's no question in my mind. Um, you know, it, it, it's loud and clear from our football players. They want to get back to playing. I've seen a few of the League One players come out today. They want to play as well. Um, this is our business. This is our industry. There's no reason we shouldn't play football if it's safe to do so. Back after the break, and uh, we'll um, we'll summarise, obviously, what I've gone through today and, and move on with what's going to happen in the future. Welcome back. Those of you who are still listening. And look, you know what? I understand some of the fans of the other clubs, particularly the ones who think they're going to go up automatically, particularly the clubs are in the playoffs. They're enjoying this. They're enjoying seeing Peterborough right now because points per game drop to seventh. You know what? I'll be the first person. You beat us on a football pitch, troll me all you like. We've lost enough games. We've won enough games. I'm all right. That's fair. All's fair in love and war. To take the opportunity for us to win promotion away with nine games to go based on some shitty points per game proposal that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Um, nah, you're not having that. I'm not giving in to that. Rotherham fans want to come at me. You know, I haven't criticised your football club. I've seen the headlines. I've seen the articles. I've no idea why you're coming at me. I've always had a good relationship with your uh, owner. Um, enjoyed the banter with your fans. Um, this isn't about me trying to rob you of a promotion. This isn't the same with Coventry fans. I did a podcast with Coventry fans recently. Really enjoyed it. Um, if any football club for the shit they've been through over the last few years deserves a promotion, it's Coventry. I've said that from day one. And they are the best football club in our league, um, results-wise this season and style-wise. Um, Wickham fans have been coming at me. Some of their forums that they write, uh, again, make me the bad guy. No problem at all. Listen, your stance is clear. You don't want to play. That's okay, I understand. If it's in the playoffs, you'll play. Okay, that's different. At the end of the day, I'll say it to all those out there who are saying they don't want to play and they don't want to finish the season. You can't have it both ways. You can't vote for points per game if you're voting against finishing the season. That doesn't make any sense. You either want to play or you don't want to play. If you don't want to play, okay, fine. Say you don't want to play, you know, and, and, and be transparent about it. So you want to dig me out for that? You want to dig me out for being an owner of a football club um, who's fighting for the right to play football? It's wrong. Think about that. You're a football fan. Don't hide behind it's not safe to play because we've been told it's safe to play. Don't throw that at me. Tell me the truth. You know, it, your whole game, you're a fan, you're a football fan. I'm fighting for football. Every time you have a go at me and you troll me, you're not fighting for football. Think about that for a second, okay? I'm the one who wants to play. You're the one fighting for, stop playing. So make up your mind, which are you? Because a football fan wants to see football. They want to play football. And if it's safe to do so, and we've been told it is, you play football. That's the bottom line on this. Um, 
Some people will agree with what I'm saying here on the podcast, some won't. I'm trying to be really honest. I have a lot of respect for EFL and for Rick Perry. There's a lot of things I disagree with. The handling over this and the way it's been put to us and the lack of modelling um, and the time and the time it's taken to do a vote when we should be back training, that frustrates me. But I've actually expressed those concerns to him. I know he's working hard on finding the money for us to the help we're going to need down the line. I want him to work just as hard on getting our season back on. Um, we need leadership. We need the Football League basically to say, look, guys, you should get back to playing. You know, we understand everyone's individual situation, but you're a collective as a league. It's your job to finish the season. And we've been told it's safe to finish the season and the champs finishing the season and the Premier League are finishing their season. Let's have at it. Let's do it. Let's do it right. Uh, and, and, and let's make it respectable for all our fans to watch at home until they can watch in, in, in person. For the long-term future of our game, I know everyone thinks we'll have no live events till next year with fans. I don't agree. Uh, I live in the States. Uh, I'm telling you right now, and I, I made a bet with some of the owners earlier on I was speaking to today. I bet them a, a few grand. I think you're going to see fans at sporting events in America by October. I do. I don't think you'll see 50,000 people in the stadium. I think it'll probably be reduced by a third and then a half until we get the confidence up. But I do think we're going to be able to get fans back in stadiums. Um, uh, and there's no doubt about it. We can find a way. And obviously, if the UK government softens their stance, because they're quite hardcore at the moment about everything, and I understand after what happened to the Prime Minister, but if they see it's happening in the rest of the world, and they see there's a way to do it, and we can do it safely, and we can look after the most vulnerable, there's no doubt in my mind we'll see fans back in stadiums before the end of the year. Maybe that's the optimist of me speaking. Um, I'm always an optimist. And even though I've been beaten up the last week, and even though the hits have kept coming, I just have to remain optimistic. So I can see life getting back to normal. I can see a way... You know, we're going forward, you know, we're all going to have to live a little bit differently for now. And I can see definitely a vaccine is going to come. We don't know when, but it's definitely going to come. And we're going to put this horrible period of time behind us. And it's sad the amount of people we've lost. But it's also sad the amount of people who are unemployed. It's also sad the amount of people who have lost good, vibrant businesses that are not allowed to go and open them now. And hopefully that comes to an end. And hopefully we can all mount a comeback. And you know what? I'll be delighted when Wickham fans, the Rotherham fans, I mean, even some of the MK Dons fans are popping up at me. I have no idea what, you know, why they're coming at me. Uh, I'll be delighted when they're trolling me about beating Peter B United on a football pitch. No problem at all. But right now, I'll say it, and I'll, I'll say it right to the bitter end. There is no way, there is no way that points per game is a justified way to end the football season. It's not right. And um, Forget about it not being fair. I don't sound like a, a, a you know, a school child crying. It's just not the right way to do things. And it's not what we should be remembered as. And as a football league, we should want to finish our seasons. We should want to get it done. Um, so let's see what happens in the vote. Uh, right now, we'll probably get voted points per game. Let's see in the days to come if, if the vote changes. Um, if, it, if it is what it is, obviously I'll deal with that. Uh, and I'll get on with things. And I'll take my, my licking. And I'll dust myself down and we go again. I've got great partners. Um, they're good guys. We're going to have to make a lot of changes to our club. We're going to have to adapt. But we're definitely going to need guidance off the beloved EFL. We need to know when the new season's starting. Because right now I've got a manager. I've got 28 players sat at home. There's no point in bringing them back to train because we've been told we're not allowed to play football. Uh, we need to know. So once this season finishes and what the date protocols are, when's our new season starting? Uh, are we going to be in a position again where a lot of people want to vote not to play football? Is this going to happen again? Is that the route we're going down EFL? Because I need to know what to do with 28 athletes who are sitting at home doing nothing, who are now told to go back to work. Uh, and everyone forgets that. 
and all these people who want to troll you and come out and enjoy it, you've all got footballers sat at home. They don't want to spend the next four months sat at home. They want to play football. And, and if you ask some of them, to be really honest, they want to go and play, regardless whether they're in a relegation zone or they're in mid-table. They want to do what they're paid to do because this is their profession. This is their future too. Uh, and it'd be nice if we're going to hear more and more from footballers, but this is their livelihoods. This is their industry. And the PFA need to speak more because this is their industry as well. And if the PFA don't get their act together and don't come out and speak about it more and don't help possibly with the testing, there's going to be a lot of their members going to be unemployed and probably not going to come back into football. And right now they're going to have to look at new careers. And that's not right either. So let's not have football eat itself up. Let's have football work out collectively a plan. Uh, and now's the time more than ever. And I've been saying this for nine or ten weeks and people say it's an agenda and it's about Peter Brown and the points per game. But no, go right back to the start. Go right back to the documents I released all the notes I had, all the ideas I had that now people are obviously trying to take credit for. And I don't mind that as long as they come to fruition. Have a read of what I've been saying all along. You know, we can come out of this. We can come out of it strong. We can definitely get the relief needed to help us through it. But I'll tell you what's not going to help us is just shutting down and stop playing football. We have to get our product back out there. Um, for me personally, I'd love to go to the UK. But obviously, you've got this 14-day quarantine for anyone arriving in. So there's no way I'm giving up my freedom out here in Florida to go to the UK to get locked up for two weeks. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm going to get there this summer. Maybe maybe those sanctions will get relaxed uh, as things are improving. Um, but I will tell you this in the UK, things are improving massively over here. Don't believe the crap you read in the press. All right, normality is coming back nicely, and it's not a new normal. Normal life is resuming. And we'll definitely, I reckon, be back in school in August and September. So that's what you've got to look forward to, because I think it'll happen in the UK as well eventually. Uh, and, and there are better days ahead. Um I don't know if I'll do another podcast next week. I might do after the vote. Let's see what happens. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Uh, I've enjoyed doing it. I've enjoyed all the emails. I've had some brilliant emails and messages from so many other football fans, not to do with Peterborough as well, saying they've enjoyed it. They've enjoyed the fight. They've enjoyed what I've been trying to do. I'm a principal person. I've been trying to stand up for football. Um, to those of you out there who want to listen to this and take – sensational headlines from it and make me out to be the bad guy and the villain good luck to you fuck you and um, because it's not it's not the truth and um, i try and give the hard truth the truth is i'm a fan of football the truth is i own a football club and um, the truth is i'm fighting for football uh, and the truth is the quicker football comes back on the better we're all going to feel about it uh, i'll leave it there for now i wish you all the best God bless you. To anyone who's lost anyone in this horrible time and to this virus, my thoughts are with you. Um, for those families out there, and there's been obviously thousands of people who've died from this in the UK. Thousands have died from it over here. Um, and I hope soon we're going to stop seeing the mortality and the deaths and we can move past this as a society and get back to work and get our kids back to school. Love to you all. Take care. 